Would everyone want to take a seat or um, step out if you'd like to have a conversation? Thanks. Let me put this. I didn't think I'd need this up more, but I do. Hello. Um, The topic of this workshop is We Agnostics. My name is Robbie, and I'm one of the leaders for this meeting. The other speaker is Yael. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Um, This session is being taped and will not be edited. Please note that this session might be available online or on a podcast feed. Anyone wishing to remain anonymous should use a fictitious name. Will someone please volunteer to be the timer? And could you um, give each of us a signal when five minutes are remaining? The leaders share for 20 minutes each. Okay. Um, As I said, my name is Robbie. And can you hear me okay? Okay. All right. Uh, It says to tell you where I'm from, how long I've been in OA, and my length of abstinence. And those are a little... um, a little more complicated for me. Um, I'm originally a Bostonian. I, I came from um, from Cambridge specifically, lived most of my life there. Um, but for the last almost 24 years, which is a long time <laughs> that has flown by, um, I've lived in Kittery, Maine and Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which I love. I never thought I would leave Boston, but... Um, I do love it there. And um, I have been in program for, um, I started in program over 35 years ago in Cambridge in the Gracie community. Um, and now I have a very different program um, in, in this area. <clears throat> My story, just in a nutshell for about five minutes, is that um, I had wonderful success in OA in Boston and was abstinent, worked the program for um, about 10 years or so before I left and moved up here for a job. I moved up up here myself, and I had heard in the Boston area that meetings up here were very different. And, um, you know, it would be so different that maybe it wouldn't be worth it for me to go. And so I listened to that, and I didn't go to meetings for many years, several years when I moved up here. I struggled on my own, and, um, you know, it just um, just wasn't great. So I finally got desperate, and I have been back in program now for um, about nine years abstinent. And, and I always do say that's imperfect abstinence. When I was in the Gracie community in Boston, I um, was it was squeaky clean. Um, it was very, um, it was quite well defined. You were either abstinent or you weren't, and um, that's fine for some people. But now um, I work my program a little differently. The food, um, the physical part, is still very important, but. Um, you know, there are three parts to the program, the physical, emotional, and spiritual, and, and we'll be talking about more about the spiritual today. Um, I This is my favorite chapter in the big book, um, we, we Agnostics. Um, as I said, I, when I started out in Boston... It might have been me, or it may have been the times, but the focus really was on the physical part of the program, of the disease. And, you know, that worked just fine for me, because if I had come into a meeting then, and there was a tremendous amount of talk about God, I think I would have run the other way, because that's just who I was. Um, At the time, I needed... The group was actually more of my higher power, Um, my fellowship. I made lots of friends. I've heard other speakers today 
say the same thing. Um, I was younger. There were a lot of young women um, in program back then, and we became very good friends and supported each other. And I just remember that it was, it did seem more like a diet. I did do some, um, I did do some step meetings, and, and I did an AWOL or two, and I don't remember them that well. I found an old uh, book recently, and I realized that I did do some writing about spiritual things, but it wasn't big in my memory, and it wasn't what I seem to be focusing on. So I came up to um, New Hampshire and Maine meetings, and there was more talk about the steps, and I heard that the program was really about the steps, and that was how people got abstinent. Um, for myself, I think it was good that I was abstinent when I worked the steps because I was clear, and when I put food into my body that is um, that I'm allergic to, the sugar, um, too many carbs, um, whatever, I just um, I get too foggy and I can't seem to really succeed in anything. So the fact that I was abstinent first was was right for me anyway. And um, I did get into a big book step study um, meeting and group. And it's a much more um, thorough way of doing the steps, um, quite intense. And it really has made a change, uh, change in my life that I didn't see before so much, um, except, you know, that I had been losing weight and um, felt, you know, felt good about that. But I realized that I had other, I had a lot of other issues that weren't being addressed, and doing this work really helped me. So, um, so when I talk, we talk about God and higher power. I looked at this chapter, and and the first time um, I read it out loud with my big book step study sponsor, and I said to her, you know, this is going to be the big chapter for me, because I don't know what I am. I I don't know if I'm agnostic, if I'm atheist. Um, but, you know, I just, I've never really felt um, any connection to a, um, an organized religion of any sort, although I was brought up in one. Um, so I said to her, you know, this is going to be the real challenge right here. And we talked about it, and, and different things just started happening. I actually, I had a spiritual um, awakening at a yoga class, and, you know, we were doing, and I'm not a big yoga person, you know, I just happened to be in this class, and and the teacher had us do a pose, and she said, you know, stand there like a tree, and you know, your feet should be rooted into the ground, and your arms out, and you know, and I looked outside this beautiful window in the hospital, and there were these magnificent trees, you know, right outside, and they were basically, it was the same thing. It was imitating, and and I started for the first time thinking, um, you know, there's more to this, you know, there is... Um, as this chapter says, who am I to say there is no God? Um, so I was more open, and I think that's what this whole chapter is about, being more open to whatever kind of uh, God it is, whatever kind of higher power. Um, then I went to a, um, a retreat, a, um, an OA retreat in Florida, and the speaker, um, the leader for that meeting, it had nothing to do with Big Book. I don't remember what, what the topics were, but he did share that um, he was an atheist in program in OA and that he had his own higher power, and it was something like um, truth, uh, justice, and beauty, I think, but something like that. It doesn't really matter what it was, but that opened my eyes too, and I realized that it doesn't have to be, you know, the God that I heard about 
when I was younger. It could be my own higher power, and that's that's really all we need. Um, so, um, so that that's really worked for me. Um, I had had trouble believing originally because there were people in my life who had died very young, and I thought, you know, how would a God let these people die? They were good people. My mother died when I was only 22 and things like that. So, I mean, so that's some of the background. But um, basically, um, you know, I was now, I was open to believe. When I sponsor people in the big book process, um, I also use some notes that were handed down to me from my sponsor. And one, there are two questions important in this chapter. One is, if you want to quit on your own, can you? That's for everybody to think about. And for me, it was, no, I've tried. I was one of those people that tried every diet out there, you know, I would I would diet so strenuously that when I remember one diet, I think it was the grapefruit diet, and I woke up and I couldn't even get out of bed. I was so weak. I mean, there were all those stories. There were the diet workshops and the Weight Watchers and some more expensive, but I could lose the weight, and then as soon as I got to my goal weight, that's when I started eating again. I picked up that first bite, and that was the end of it. So I knew by this time when I started this big book step study process that um, I could not stop on my own. I needed something. Whatever that higher power was, I needed something to help me. And then can you identify with the alcoholic or the food addict or compulsive eater? Um, if you can say yes to these, you are probably a food addict or compulsive eater. Um, and I know that I could identify with with all of the um, with the text of this chapter and the people in it, and and so I knew I was in the right place. Um, the other some of the other notes is the problem is how to find your higher power. Half of us didn't believe at all. And I was really amazed to find out that the book, the big book, is really about how to find a higher power, not to stop drinking or eating. Because if we find a higher power, then everything else falls into place. And we, we don't eat because, I mean, it's, you know, we can certainly not be perfect. Things can come back. <laughs> we have these thoughts. But... Basically, it's the only way to stop eating for a long time. Um, on page um, 52 of my book, um, are, oh, actually, yes, 52, the bedevilments, or some people call them the black promises. And I can read, it says, We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of a lunar flight? Of course it was. So I'm, I could identify with so many of those um, bedevilments. Not all, you know. I mean, I, as we always say, you know, take what you, leave, take what you need and leave the rest. Um, I could make a living. Um, I wasn't really happy. There were times when... During the day at work, I would have to have a, a desk full of sugar to get me through. I had to um, sneak it, try not to make a lot of noise so my people in the cubicles near me wouldn't hear the, the papers rustling. There was a time when I would run out during the day to get sugar while I should have been working. I mean, these are, um, these are really good 
reminders for me because I think of myself as someone that has a really strong work ethic. I was brought up that way. I work very hard. Um, but I was doing things like that. I was, you know, taking time from my job. And now, now work is a little more um, flexible, I think, than it was back then. This was in the in the 80s and um, or the 70s, probably the late 70s because I found a program in the 80s. Um, but I had just gone off of a very um, big diet program and I was just running out, running out to get sugar. Today I can take a little more flexibility in my job and, you know, go exercise during the day or do something that's really healthy for me. But back then, people really did watch. I had a friend who was in program, and she was in uh, publishing as as I was. And her boss once said to her, she was working her program and trying not to eat compulsively. And her boss said, you know, I've watched you, and you go get tea too often, and you go to the bathroom too often. <laughs> and, you know, she was doing what she needed to do to not eat, but it didn't go over well. And I think... T- I don't know, at, at least where I work, as long as you get your job done, you can work any hours of the day. You can work all night if you want, but they don't seem to really care. And then on page 55, um, we talk about, um, you know, that deep down, um, I think um, everybody really knows um Actually, we were fooling ourselves. For deep down in every man, woman, and child is a fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form or other it is there. For faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. We finally saw that faith in some kind of God was a part of our makeup, just as much as the feeling we have for a friend. Sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but he was there. He was as much a fact as we were. We found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. It was so with us. And um, I think, you know, for myself, um, everybody has their own higher power, whatever works. Um, and sometimes I even change it a little. But, um, you know, things in nature, the, the places where I feel calm, where, where I feel protected and taken care of, like being at the ocean and um, dancing. I'm looking forward to getting out and dancing tonight here and just being joyful, uh, happy, joyous, and free. And that's what, you know, what this program promises us. Um, and that's what I want to share, that, um, that this chapter really taught me that I didn't have to have the same um, definition of a higher power as someone else in program or my sponsor or my sponsees or people People all come with different backgrounds and different uh, different ideas, and I'm I'm really grateful that I went through this process. If anybody wants to talk to me about it afterwards, I'm, I'm you know very willing to to share how wonderful it's been for me personally, and um, and I think that's enough for me. I'm going to pass it on to my co-speaker here. Thank you. Hi, my name is Yael, and I am a compulsive overeater. Um, where's that thing? Well, let's see. Um, so I live in Rhode Island, in Providence, Rhode Island. I'm not from there, but I've been there for a while now, and that's where I found OA also. Um, and I came to OA through another program, so I'm pretty new to OA and to abstinence. It's been a little over two years now. Um, and a really um, eventful and um, just 
you know, a little turbulent actually, um, a little turbulent, but also then coming out of it in a way um, that the last year in particular has been really, as they say, beyond my wildest dreams. That's really been true for me. Um, so I also really love this chapter. I love I love so many chapters in the big book, but in my uh, my home group is a big book step study meeting in Greenville, uh, Rhode Island, and um, in the in in our tradition um, we read this chapter as, as part of step two. Uh, I think the first part of step two. So came to believe uh, a power greater than ourselves, um, and. And so there's a lot that I really relate to in this chapter. Um, I grew up in a very intellectual family. Um, my Both of my parents were academics. Um, and religion, even though um, I had a faith tradition that wasn't, it was more cultural. It wasn't something that um, my parents encouraged at all. In fact, that was sort of religion was for weak people. That was for people who weren't, weren't that smart, really. Um, and we were always supposed to be smarter than everybody else. Um, and so I really grew up with this idea that I, you know, if I just tried hard enough, if I used my brain enough, if I learned enough, researched enough, you know, that I would be able to do pretty much whatever I wanted. It was all about the brain, the intellect. Um, so at the same time, um, at growing up, I was also being sexually abused for four or five years when I was very young. Um, and so that really encouraged me even more to live up in my head. Um, so it was a great big divide. There was a divide between you know, the intellect and my thinking and then the physical and my body, which I was just, it, I just was not, never at peace with my body. I was always at war with it. Um, and I didn't want to feel. I didn't want to. I didn't want to remember. I didn't want to. I just didn't want to be in my body, basically. Um, and so, so it was really it was uh, attractive. This idea of not, you know, being disconnected and being in my mind was very, very attractive. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I discovered pretty early on that I went through all different kinds of ways of escaping. Um, food was definitely one of them early on, but I think it really only. I think I went I went through a lot of different phases with it, sometimes restricting and then sometimes binging. Um, but I'd, I'd been to a lot of um, AA meetings um, and had heard of this phrase um, when alcoholics talked about the drink. They would say, um, one was not enough and a thousand, no, one was too many and a thousand was not enough. And I found my myself one day um, maybe three or four years ago um, on my way to work early in the morning and finding like you know I I'm stopping here you know at my drugstore which was right in I called that my drug dealer because sugar was my main drug um, and you know my car would kind of just go on its own turn into the driveway of the parking lot um and I, I would just stand there. I just remember standing there and being like, you know, well, I want one of these, but I really, I better have two or three because that's not going to be enough. Like, what if I need more? What if I need more? And I had, and I just had that constant feeling of like, there's never going to be enough. There's never, ever going to be enough. Um, and, and so, I, and that phrase came to me, like I was scared to get one because I knew that wouldn't be enough. I knew I had to get at least two and then three. And then I thought, well, you know, the whole king size bags or whatever, that's still, that's not going to be enough either. Um, and that's, that's when I started to realize that the, the way I use sugar was the way an alcoholic drinks, um, that I, I needed, I needed to, to get, even get my day started. Um, so I, I love this part and, um, it's at the very beginning. So it says, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Um, and then this part, our human resources as marshaled by the will were not sufficient. They failed utterly. 
and this that that was true for me um i i tried all kinds of things not not the things that uh, that i hear most people um try it was always weird things like um all juice diets you know and i would put vegetables through the juicer and um, and it looks beautiful too, so it's, it was kind of pleasing for a while, but it, it, it wasn't sustainable. I tried all kinds of different things. Um, and, and most of all, I tried, you know, I tried therapy. I tried, you know, if I know myself better, if I can figure it out, if I can just, you know, master it, then somehow with, with this brilliant mind, I'm going to conquer it, you know, and it, it just never worked. Um, and so, and so there was this, um, I, I needed I needed something bigger than myself, um, and that took a lot of humility. Uh, and I wasn't I don't I didn't start out all that humble because um, again, as I said, I thought I could figure it out. I thought if I studied enough, then I, I would be able to do it myself. Um, so here on page fifty, it says um, that all of these all of these men and women flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power and to do certain simple things, there's been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. Um, revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking that's what I experienced um, even today I, I find myself myself acting in a way that is really not from me I, I've tried to act in that way before and never been successful um, and I find myself saying and doing things that are you know have integrity that I, I have wanted I've always wanted that and never been able to do it on my own um, so the revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. So I'm thinking about how did that happen for me? Um, it really happened through being absolutely desperate. They said that the, the absolute collapse, total failure of my, of my human resources, um, when I first went through the steps, as I said, it wasn't the first time I went through the steps was not an OA. And the previous speaker said that um, she's glad she was abstinent when she did the steps. I had a very different experience when I went through the steps in OA. Um, and, and I believe a lot of that was because I was actually feeling. I mean, I... I could feel my body. There wasn't so much stuff in the way. And I don't think I even really knew this until I was abstinent, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know what my, I didn't know what feelings felt like in my body. I didn't know what fear felt like. I didn't know what, you know, this, those subtle differences, the difference between sadness and despair. I mean, I didn't know anything. It was just, it was just, you know, there's some slight discomfort or some bit of something. I'm just going to eat. And then, um, so I didn't know. I didn't know what, what I, I was not friends with my body, so I didn't know how, how to be. Um, so, so doing the steps abstinent was very, very different. Um, as we're reading this part about um, the one that Robbie read, uh, deep down inside of us is the great reality. Wait, let me get it right. We found the great reality deep down within us. So, deep down within me, I didn't want to go deep down within me. That's why I spent so much time stuffing it down with food and, and staying in my head. But what I found is, it is deep down in me. That's where God lives. That's also where my trauma lives. That's where my pain is. That's where the sorrow is and the despair, but that's also where the joy is. And so in keeping myself, I thought, keeping myself safe by staying up here, I robbed myself of so much joy and freedom. And um, I was drowning in shame, and, and shame that wasn't mine. It wasn't 
you know, there's no, no need for me to be ashamed. Um, but I carried that and I reinforced it. I reinforced it by, by treating my body in ways that were, were abusive. I mean, it was, I, I was just continuing the abuse in my own way. Um, and that, and that, you know, I think about that, that deep down, you know, is the great reality, um, that is God, um, that was blocked for me. I couldn't hear God. I couldn't experience God um, because I was in the way. I was in the way and the food was in the way. My shame was in the way. Um, and just my resistance, I think just constantly resisting, trying to push it down and not, not feel. Um, so the beauty of that is that on the other side, when I stopped resisting, when I went all the way down into that despair of that trauma and the and and just the the grief i mean deep 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 old old ancient grief that that was in my body that i just never wanted to deal with once i actually went there though i you know i had to fall apart a little to do that and that but that was okay um i i got free i was freed um and the, on the other side I'm not afraid to go there anymore. I'm not afraid. Um, there's a lot that I'm not afraid of now. Um, this is part of the end, says when they talk about this, um, a miracle of healing. They said, save for a few brief moments of temptation, the thought of drink is never returned. And at such times, a great revulsion has risen up in him. This is page 57. Seemingly, he could not drink even if he would. God have restored his sanity. What is this but a miracle of healing? Yet its elements are simple. Circumstances made him willing to believe. He humbly offered himself to his maker. Then he knew. And I love this. I remember when I was first reading this like 10 years ago, I put little numbers. Number one, circumstances made him willing to believe. Yeah, circumstances made me willing to believe. I wasn't sleeping at night. I was I was having diarrhea for about seven months. And, um, and, I, and that's how the way I got through the night, the way I got through the, the terror of, 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 being in my body again after 40 something years was um was prayer that was the only thing i could you know during the night nobody's awake so i talked to god i didn't know what else to do so it's a desperation circumstances made me willing nothing else made me willing except that that desperation and then two he humbly humbly offered himself to his maker and again that for me was i went kicking and screaming <laughs> Definitely kicking and screaming. I was like, okay, I'm going to let go. I really am. I'm going to let go. And um, I remember talking to my sponsor. I remember this one day it was snowing out and I was walking along the river, uh, on talking to her on the cell phone. And she would say, um, she would say, I'm here. Like, just keep walking. You'll, you know, take my hand. And I'm like, I know, but I'm scared. I'm scared. It was like, it was like there was, I was on a cliff. That's what it felt like. I was on a cliff, and she was just saying, "All you have to do is is, is jump off, and you know, you'll be held. Like you're not going to be hurt." And I was like, I, "I, I believe it. I believe that you believe that. I believe that's probably true, but I can't. I'm too scared. I can't do it." Um, but she was there, and eventually, I, I got the courage to jump. Um, so I love that passage where it says. Um, how are we doing for time? Does anyone know? Five and a half. Great. Okay. Um, so this is page 53. Um, some of us had already walked far over the bridge of reason toward the desired shore of faith. The outlines and the promise of the new land had brought luster to tired eyes and fresh courage to flagging spirits. Friendly hands had stretched out and welcomed. We were grateful that reason had brought us so far, but somehow we couldn't quite step ashore. Perhaps we had been leaning too heavily on reason that last mile, and we did not like to lose our support. 
that's exactly how I felt. And I, I'd never understood that passage. I, it didn't really make sense to me until I had that experience. That, um, and I had. I'd walked far over the bridge of reason. And using my mind, I thought, it makes sense. You know, it makes sense. I, I clearly haven't been able to do it myself. Um, but I was so scared to let go because letting go means I'm not, I don't know what will happen. I'm not in control anymore. And that's what I wanted. I just, I wanted to stay in control. Um, so back to that page 57. So he humbly offered himself to his maker. Then he knew. That's the, that's the final part. Then he knew. Um, and that knowing, that is not a knowing that came from my head. It's not a knowing that comes from any amount of study of religious degrees or doctrines or um, even poetry and <laughs> whatever. It's, it's not. It's not that. It's um, for me anyway. That that knowing was something. Yeah, deep down inside. Um, and so I'm. I'm just so grateful because this program has given me my freedom, really given me my freedom. And and it's not just about the food. It's so not just about the food. I mean, it's given me freedom from that as well. But but as they say, that was just a symptom. It's given me freedom from, um, from fear, from shame, from, you know, trying to control things and trying to be a certain way, perfectionism, all the people-pleasing, everything. Um, and not, again, not to... to not to say I'm totally free from all of those things. That's definitely not true at all. Um, but there's, there's still I always have. I can, I can always come back. Even when I, when I stray, I come back to that sense of, of deep down inside. There is something much greater than me that has a plan for me. That's not my plan. Sometimes it's a little bit like my plan, but not usually. Um, and that that power holds me and and grounds me. Um, and when I'm afraid, I can hear that power just saying, you know, rest in me. Just just rest in me. Stop trying to figure it all out. Just, just be, just rest in me. You're enough. So thank you for my life. Thank you. Um, so let's see. Let's see. Um, this workshop will end at 4.45 p.m. We will now open the floor for three-minute pitches. The timer will signal you when you have one minute left. If you would like to share, come to the front of the room and form a line to the right. I think this right. Um, you must sign the release form before you speak. Yeah. Oh, this one is right here, actually. It's, yeah, right here. Yeah. Um, da 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 da, da. Step up to the microphone and introduce yourself. Tell where you are from and how long you've been in OA. We would like to remind OA members who are in other fellowships to speak only to your personal recovery in OA. Please stick to the topic of this meeting. For those who arrived late, the topic of this workshop is we agnostics. The meeting is now open for sharing. Hi, my name is Rula and I'm a compulsive reader. Um, I'm from Montreal, and I've been in the program for two and a half years. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to tell the story properly, but um, I'm going to try. Um, I, I struggled with uh, the concept of a higher power and just uh, having faith for a really long time. And um, in the last uh, year, I've been listening to um, uh, Joe and Charlie, who are... Uh, two amazing guys that uh, talk about the uh, the big book and they give the perception and they they, they bring the, the the big book to life with real life examples you know that are outside of the book um, and I just love them um, I, I can relate to uh, how they uh, you know how they talk about the different stories and chapters in the book anyway this one uh, he was talking about the difference uh, Joe and Charlie were talking one time about the difference between willingness and having faith like the willingness to believe and having faith and he was uh, he used the example of um, 
of needing to um, to get his car fixed at a mechanic in an area that he didn't know or a mechanic that he didn't know. And so a friend came and said, well, go see this guy. This guy's really, really good and he's going to charge you a good rate and he's, you know, your car's going to get fixed the way you expect to. So he was saying, well, okay, I had the willingness to believe that this mechanic was going to uh, fix my car properly based on, you know, this referral that I'm getting from this guy that I know. But I don't have faith that he's going to do it because I actually haven't experienced it yet. And so he went and he got his car fixed. And, you know, once he had his car fixed, uh, he got it back. And, yeah, and sure enough, he got a good rate. And, you know, he was really happy with the repairs and nothing happened. And so the next time, so now he had that faith that he had been looking for, right? He had experienced it, and now when he could, you know, he needed to go back or if he needed for another problem, he now had the faith that this guy was going to actually do it for him. And where I struggled, uh, where I struggled, thank you, at the beginning was that I was trying to have faith right away. Like I was trying to like you know, like I didn't just have that willingness to believe. I thought, well, if it's, I don't have this faith, you know, and I kept hearing faith or fear. And I was just like so confused. And when I finally let it go and I started to just say, well, you know what? I am willing to believe that what you're telling me and how you're telling me to do this, it's actually going to get me to where I need to go. And when I started doing that, I started to be able to see the little miracles and the little things that were happening to help me build that faith that I was looking for. But I was always trying to do it backwards, you know? Anyway, thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Ken G, and I'm very grateful for becoming <clears throat> compulsive overeater and sugar addict, alcoholic, spender, debtor, triple crown winner. Uh, I was brought up on the Upper West Side of New York where we were taught that anyone who believed in God played the banjo, spoke with a southern accent, and drooled. Uh, that was a sophisticated view, uh, as was, let's be witty and uh, cut people down and um, uh, sell out for a good line. Anyway, uh, that was a long time ago. I recently celebrated 35 years of sobriety and uh, struggled in and out of OA and, and now have three and a half years of, of uh, abstinence, maintaining 150-pound weight loss. But over the years, I re resigned from the deb debating society. And I, really what I want to share is I have figured out what God's will is for me. And God's will is, for me is what happens, whether it's joyous or whether it's tragic. I've learned how to deal with it in 12-step program. And that faith is not in a Santa Claus God who's going to reward the good people and punish the bad people, but in having faith that I will land on my feet no matter what and that I will be able to stay abstinent and sober through anything, even good things. And because uh, for me to eat, I, something special had to happen, like a leaf falling <laughs> <laughs> or it's raining out. Anyway, I just wanted to share that. Thanks. I'm Anthony. I'm a compulsive overeater uh, from Rhode Island. And um, the reason why. Um, this chapter is always um, always gives me a, a good punch um, is because uh, when I started working with a, a big book step study sponsor um, so in my line of work in my in my education i'm I kind of have to kind of look for loopholes you know um, whether either to take advantage of those loopholes or to defend against those loopholes. Um, so when I was told that um, this book was suggestive only and that you should just take what you need and leave the rest, I took that to heart. And so that's how I try to work my program when I initially came in. Um, but when I got a sponsor and um, we had read this chapter, and I kind of was just, you know, basically um, telling my sponsor that, you know, this God thing, you know, it's, it's really difficult for me. I mean, you know, I, I need to probably work on some other aspects of the program. She basically pointed out a few things to me. She said, um, on page 44, it says, uh, We had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or 
else. Um, to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis. And also on page 53, we had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. So those are my choices. <laughs> so I had to really um, start realizing, stop looking for the loopholes. Um, the, it's, it's, it's stated right here in the book. It's or else, or else. So I knew that, and it also says in this chapter, my ideas were not working, but the God idea did. And so that's basically, I think, how I got to this part of the program to understand that it's, it's really mostly about me letting go to God to be able to get through this program one day at a time. And um, I don't want those other alternatives anymore. So thanks. Hi, everybody. I'm Barbara Ann. I'm, I'm a food addict from Lowell, Massachusetts. Up a little. Okay, hold on. Can you all hear me? Okay. Um, so, yeah, already in just the short time I've been in here, partly, partway through, I don't know her name, the speaker, um, and through the few shares, I've already had the reinforcement that has helped me in my years in program to come to believe in a God that could help me in my life. I came into OA um, oh, 31 and a half years ago uh, so angry, no clue that underneath all that anger, I was heart sick. I was fearful. I, I, I was heartbroken from all the things in life from childhood all the way up through and um, and I didn't know that that's why I was restless, irritable, discontent why I was filled with fear, doubt, and insecurity why I was cynical when people would share uh, about God in their life I'd like, yeah right you know, I I believe in God, but I believe in the devil more because I've seen the devil in my life more than anything. And I learned over many, many years in program, I learned through doing um, AWOLs and then finally the big book step study. Um, you know, I learned that God wasn't, wasn't making these things happen. God wasn't deserting me. Um, I, I just, um, I think that there was, there has been a God in my life for all the times that I used to cry and say, oh my God, oh my God, you know. Um, it's like I was kind of on the right track, but I had no trust. Thank you. No faith, really, that if I prayed for, like, if I prayed for freedom from compulsive overeating, that that might get me more help than saying, oh God, please, uh, Please help me to be thin. I dieted, 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 yo-yoed up and down all my life until I came into program. All I wanted was to be thin. I was my belief, my faith, my God was if I could just be thin, my life would straighten out and I'd be so happy. Well, I came in, uh, I, I, I lost weight. I'm maintaining for thirty plus years, fifty pounds off. And um, when I got thin, I wasn't happier. My life didn't suddenly, you know, my life didn't change. My life changed very, very gradually over the years. And I came to believe. Thank you. I came to believe. And uh, that's what I suggest to people is you just keep coming. Don't leave. No matter what, don't leave. Even if you come to the meetings so angry that you can't stand people. Come anyway and stay anyway. It's worth it. Thank you.
Hi, everyone. My name is Nancy, and I'm a compulsive overeater and a food addict. Um, I love this chapter to the agnostic. Um, I love this chapter. I love how it talks about um, looking within, looking deep within um, to find a higher power, and that it's so inclusive that um, God doesn't make too difficult um, um, I'm paraphrasing that God doesn't make it too difficult if you're looking for him. And I did a terrible job of paraphrasing. But <laughs> So I, I came into program. Um, I, I always believed in God. I, I grew up in a very loving Methodist community. But I never had a personal relationship with God. Um, and when I came into this um, fellowship, I was told that I needed to develop that personal relationship, and then I needed to spend time um, finding a higher power and communicating and pray in prayer and meditation on, in the morning and asking for help, uh, not only with the food but with everything. And so, initially, it was really hard to sit still in the morning and, and pray and read my literature and ask God for help. And then it became easier. And I just want to say, in my experience, what really solidified my faith is that that it worked what a miracle I could never stop binging on sugar I could never stick to a diet one day at a time I asked God for help and I took action by getting a sponsor and going to meetings and having a food plan and when I was tempted I would ask God to help me through the moment or the temptation so nothing convinces me more than experience and I just don't want to cross talk but I love I love that story because nothing convinces me more than experiencing the power of a higher power in my life and that's what's happened in, in my experience I've had 22 years of abstinence and I remember coming in thinking how could I possibly not eat sugar on my birthday or at Christmas or and my sponsor would say it's just for today you know and I couldn't imagine I couldn't imagine not eating sugar for the rest of my life and I didn't have to do it for the rest of my life so I'm so grateful today I ask God for help in so many areas of my life with relationships with being able to pause I ask God to direct my thinking when I'm going into a, a, a potentially difficult situation um, I pray all the time and ask God for direction um, and I get it so thanks for letting me share hi I'm Delyn I'm a compulsive overeater and restrictor hi um, currently here from Vermont um, really glad to be here and I just I wanted to get up and share because I think I actually have a personal opinion that this is the most well-written chapter in the entire big book. I think it's so gorgeous and I I come from a family that um had actually like two kind of faith traditions, like we had a faith tradition and we had a spiritual practice that were different. Um, spent a lot of time trying to convince people why the second one, which wasn't really well known, was actually useful. So I think there's this piece of me that just like loves that this chapter like explains it. Like this is why it works. This is how to get there. And um, there's pr- I can't even think of anything in this chapter that isn't actually true to my own experience. Like it's it's true to a T. Like this is how to intellectually think yourself through to a spiritual awakening, if that's like the skill set that you've got on hand. Um, and uh, what do I want to say about that? I guess I just I just wanted to say that. I just wanted to say that it's it's works. And I really loved um, hearing the speakers speak. Um, it was very accurate to me the um, the description of how, you know, it's kind of like like God shaking your roots, that experience of stepping into the unknown. And it's the risk. It's like the risk of flight. It's the risk of if I do something differently, all hell is going to break loose, maybe. Or maybe I'm just going to be really happy um, for the rest of my life. And I'm thinking about that 
today, um, so I've been in program for 15 years and I've been counting my original abstinence started about 14 years ago. And then I've added a few different components to that since then. And, um, and there was a point at which I was trying to have everybody else's higher power and it's kind of easy. It's, there's a way in which it can feel like the, the big book or maybe like just if everybody's kind of got a similar way of describing higher power, like that's got to be the, the only way. And the thing that's so great about OA is that it, it's the only way is what's true for you. And like it has to be unique to you. And because I had this unique upbringing spiritually, I had kind of unique s- solutions to my problems and like unique experiences of what I knew was the next right step for me that nobody else in my group was doing. But like, I knew that I, like I spent a year trying to have somebody else's higher power at one point and it just didn't work. And I finally just stepped off the cliff into my version of higher power and everything just kept unfolding. And I'll just wrap up by saying like, it doesn't stop unfolding. That's like, (laughs) that's the kind of like clincher is that like you, like you either keep going forward or you go backwards. And so like, it just keeps unfolding. And I'm at this place now where it's like, what else do you want to turn over? Like how big and how deep do you want it to get? Cause it's going to get big and deep. And I know that and I'm scared, which is why I keep like, I keep holding on. I'll like, I'll give you that much, but I'm going to hold on to this. Oh, I've got to give that up. Oh, but I'm going to, so I'm in that place now. And I just am grateful to hear it. It's nice to be somewhere where people are, living that truth as well. So thank you. Hi, I'm Barbie. I'm a compulsive overeater and I want to claim my seat and I did think of something I want to say. Um, I came into this program with a God who got me here. Somebody told me that my fat and my eating was a spiritual problem. And so I started to pray, and I prayed every night for probably a year. And one night when I was praying, this voice inside me said, but you don't want to give up your best friend. And that was the first time I really actually heard God's voice, because I knew it wasn't my voice. And so... I um, three days later, a friend called me and invited me to go on, to go oh, to an OA program with her. I'd never I'd heard of OA, but I'd never thought of going. And I said, "No." I she said they have this thing called abstinence. I said, "I've been dieting all my life. I've given up on it. I don't believe in abstinence." And she said, "Well, come for me because I want to go." So of course, I knew it wasn't true. I knew it was for me, but I went to my first OA meeting. And um, I'd like to say that in practicing OA, one day I was um, at a customer, and I and when I was leaving that customer, there was a, a cafeteria right there, and everybody was coming out with ice cream cones. And I wanted one. And I knew that on my way home, I was going to stop at Friendly's. And I was going to get a cup of coffee, of course. And so I, as I got closer to friendlies, I thought, okay, thank you. I thought, oh, God, help me. Just give me, give me for an hour, give me the abstinence so that I don't get anything else besides the coffee. And I knew that wasn't working. And so I said, well, um, I guess I started with just for today, and then it was just for an hour. And then as I was getting closer, I said, just for five minutes. I drove into the parking lot. I went into Friendly's. I bought my coffee. I walked out. I got into the car, started driving, and said, Oh, my God, I never even thought about it. That was my first really personal experience with a higher power. Thank you. We'd like to thank everyone who attended this workshop. We'll now close the meeting with the serenity prayer.
Okay, you don't. Oh. <laughs>